Well, I'm excited to, to be sharing uh, the word with you today. If you have your Bibles, I want you to go to Luke chapter 11. Uh, for those who follow along on the Bible app, you can find our notes there. We have a live event there, and you can follow along and add your own notes uh, there as well. Speaking of the Bible app, uh, this year as a church, we are reading through the whole Bible together. There's a Bible reading program uh, I think we have almost reached the, the limit in the app of how many people could participate and actually uh, chat back and forth. We have about 150 or so people uh, reading with us right now, but there's no reason that you can't start to read this on your own. We want you in God's Word, hearing God's Word. This is everybody. This is for everybody, where we can regularly be, be reading God's Word, nourished by God's Word. Jesus said these words. He says, man, does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. And so we want you uh, to take advantage of, of reading this with us. That way we're all on the same page. Remember last, last summer we did same page summer, which was really incredible for us as a community. Uh, and I want to tell you, I believe this will be so beneficial to so many. You say, well, I didn't start January 1st. It doesn't matter. Start right where, right, right where we are. Start on today's reading. Uh, let's not get into religious bondage. Let's step into God's grace and see what he wants to speak, uh, speak to us. That God doesn't want you to think, man, man, reading the Bible is just a grind. No, no, no. Reading the Bible is a gift from God. It's women. It'll draw us closer and we'll be more familiar with his voice. And if you use the Bible app, you can let the Bible read to you. Come on, just, just put it in NIV or NLT. It'll read to you as you're reading along. So uh, I'm telling you, uh, God's given us every advantage uh, uh, to getting his word into us. And that's what we're going to do as a church here in 2022. Now, uh, most of you know that we're uh, uh, in the middle of a 21-day fast. And I want to keep encouraging those who are praying and fasting with us. Uh, you, uh, if you hear those low rumbles uh, in, in this service, it is just your neighbor's stomach, okay? Uh, you I, I was standing in the kitchen and my wife heard my stomach the other night. She was like, what was that? I said, I guess I'm getting deliverance. I don't know. I, 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 I don't know. And uh, I, I want to encourage you. Listen, uh, uh, probably by this time, um, the spirit of cheat kind of kind of come after you already. Some of you know what I'm saying. You're, you're just like, man, I started to fast. I started to do this, but then cheat came, you know, or I woke up in the morning and I just did my normal routine. And before I know it, you know, I had something in my mouth that wasn't supposed to have in my mouth, you know, and all the rest. If you want, in our hallway, we're helping people. We're not only giving you uh, prayer directives, but we also have in there some fasting guidelines. If you've never done a Daniel fast, I promise you, at the end of a Daniel fast, you'll feel better, you'll think clearer, and you'll be like, thank you, Lord, for the gift of this being in Scripture. Listen, it's not just a religious activity. This is a gift that is in Scripture that God says that there is a reward connected to, and it's reserved for fasting. He says, when you pray, there's a reward. When you give, there's a reward. And also when you fast, there's a reward. And so I want you to join with us. Don't give up. Don't give in. We're going to get breakthrough, okay? Does that sound good this year? Come on. I believe this year God has, stood, uh, has, has an open door before us. 
I believe this is a year of open door where God has given us divine opportunities to see his spirit move in powerful ways. So don't give up. Don't give in. You need to understand that I'm believing that there will be people who come through the door in great need of Jesus. They come in bondage and they leave another way. I believe God wants to give you breakthrough in your marriage and breakthrough in your life. He wants to move powerfully. Man, somebody's addicted to drugs today but they don't know there's a church fasting and praying and that stronghold is going to break this year. We're going to see people come into liberty and life all while just simply following God and saying yes to what he's calling us to. Many of us heard the the, the, the message just a couple of weeks ago, on, or even last week on prayer, and I, I mentioned one scripture from 1 Thessalonians uh, chapter 5. Many of us know it. And it's only three words. It's pray without ceasing. We've got, the, we've got this idea about prayer and about fasting. And we hear these words, pray without ceasing. And it could be that the first time that we hear that, man, man it, it's like a little arrow comes into our heart. Because all we think about is how little we pray instead of understanding that when God says pray without ceasing, what he is giving to us is an opportunity for unbroken fellowship with him. When he says prayer, with, pray without ceasing, he's saying, I'm always here night and day. How many of you know you got to sleep? How many of you know that when you're fasting and praying, sleep tries to run away from you? I got a text uh, earlier today, I won't say because I think that person's in the service. It says, you know you're fasting when you're dreaming about pie. <laughs> I'm like, that's awesome. That's awesome. I, I, I want to tell you, <laughs> it totally threw me off. I was just thinking about that. Uh, <laughs> we're going to see breakthrough as we fast and as we pray and as we say yes to this unbroken fellowship that God is inviting us into. If you say, hey, I haven't started fasting yet, but why don't you just jump in with us? Jump in. Listen, anything that's a sacrifice to you, God will honor. And I know he is inviting us as a church to not only have a value of prayer, saying, yes, prayer is important. We have daily prayer here every day at 9 a.m. that the office is open Monday through Thursday. It's glorious. It's a time of worship and a time of prayer. It's persistent, which is actually, uh, uh, you know, some of what the Lord wants to speak to us today about. But I, 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 I want you to understand, we can't just have the value of prayer without Without the essence of prayer, the essence of prayer is his presence. The essence of prayer is knowing that he will be near. And so today I want to speak to you a message out of Luke 11 called Midnight Answers. Midnight Answers, the power of persistent prayer. Now, oh, I don't know those guys. Uh, (laughs) That's the screen. (laughs) Hey, thanks to everybody who runs that stuff back there. Uh, um, how many of you know there's been times in our life where we have sought answers to prayer and needed answers to prayer? We've all been in that place. I heard a story about a man who went to a revival meeting and uh, uh, the evangelist pastor was, was, was preaching there on the power of prayer and how God was moving when people were, were, were getting prayed for. And this man uh, comes up at the end of the service to receive prayer and the pastor asked him, how can I pray for you? And he says, 
He says, Pastor, I, I really need prayer for my hearing. And he says, okay. And so the pastor stuck one finger in his ear and he put the other, his hand on his forehead and began to pray and pray and pray and pray and pray. And then he stepped back and he says, well, how's your hearing? And he goes, well, pastor, I don't know. It's this Wednesday. Anybody ever had a prayer life kind of like that? You know, you, you, you thought you were praying for the right thing and it wasn't the right thing at all. You know, you thought you had some things figured out, especially as a teenager, you got in that date and relationship, started praying, oh, this is the one, this is the one, this is the one. And God's going, that's not the one. That's not the one I want to, you're like, uh, I'm not, I'm praying, you know, uh, that uh, for some of our teenagers to not get their prayers answered. And, and so I, I think as God is teaching us about how to become a community of prayer, people who seek him, people who honor his presence, that we need to go to his word and say, God, I want you to expand our understanding of prayer so that we legitimately get edified. You know what it means to be edified? It means to be built up. God wants to give you a brick today. You, you leave this service carrying something that is going to help you build a life that, that begins to shout to the world, Jesus is raised from the dead. So, I want us to go to Luke chapter 11. And in a moment, just after the, the teaching on the model prayer, many of you know that as the Lord's Prayer, this is where Jesus continues to teach about prayer. and It's a powerful, powerful teaching about midnight answers. Luke 11, 5 through 10 says this, then teaching them more about prayer. Just so you know, the Lord's Prayer is not all you need to know about prayer. Teaching them more about prayer, he used this story. Suppose that you went to a friend's house at midnight wanting to borrow three loaves of bread. You say to him, a friend of mine has just arrived for a visit, and I have nothing for him to eat. And suppose he calls out from his bedroom, don't bother me. The door is locked for, uh, for the night and my family and I are all in bed. I can't help you. But I tell you this, though he won't do it for friendship's sake, if you keep knocking long enough, he will get up and give you whatever you need because of your shameless persistence. And so I tell you, keep on asking and you will receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking and you will find. Keep on knocking and the door will be open to you. For everyone who asks receives, everyone who seeks finds, and to everyone who knocks, the door will be open. Now Jesus is using this story uh, and using these analogies in this story uh, to not only uh, teach us about some elements of prayer, which we'll get to in a moment, but uh, there's some foundational ideas introduced in this story about prayer. Let me, let me just give you a few. They're not really connected to uh, the ideas or the action plan of this, but I want you to understand that this will undergird and strengthen your prayer life. First of all, here's what you need to know. Jesus is the friend available at midnight. I mean, who's got one of those friends that you could just show up at midnight 
and you're and they're available to you. Most of us today, with our ring doorbell, somebody shows up at midnight, we're like, nope. Nope. No, why are you here at midnight? But Jesus is this friend who's available. Listen, listen, he's up, he's awake, and he's talking back in this story. He is the friend. Listen to that word. He's the friend friend that's available at midnight. This is what Jesus said in John 15, 15. He said, no longer do I call you servants because servants do not know what their master is doing, but I have called you what? Friends. I have called you friends for all the things I've heard from my father. I have made known to you. You need to understand Jesus is the friend who is available in the dark hour. When you are going through something and you don't know where the answer is going to come from, you have an address in heaven. And there is one dwelling there who is available to you in your dark hour. His name is Jesus. I love it. And not only is he a friend, but he's available. Hebrews tells us that we can come boldly before the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace. That means favor. What? When? In the time of need. When is it available? Whenever you're in need. Jesus is the one that you can go to when you're in need. Many times, he's the last one that we go to. And yet here, right after teaching the Lord's Prayer, he's saying, I'm the one that you need to come to when, you, when it's inconvenient, when it's dark, when you can't see your way. You need to know I'm your friend and I'm available in your time of need. And I love this. He went to the friend's house and everything he needed for the friend who came to his house was in his friend's house. He went to the friend and what was there? Every, every loaf he needed. Can I just say, I don't know what your need is today. But as we're beginning to grow as a community of prayer, we need to be convinced of this. Jesus has everything we need. It's not partial. It's not maybe. It's not something that we reason out. Boy, I tell you what, I wonder if there aren't, aren't some people who with me wouldn't quote Philippians 4, 19. Do you know what Philippians 4, 19 is? You may not know the chapter and verse and have the numbers down, but maybe when I start to quote it, or maybe you could read along with me, it is this, and my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory. How much need does he, does he meet? He meets all our needs. And so when you come with a need, what you need is already in his house oh this is the this is the the beauty of prayer is that now we're not going to a god who has to man hear our need and say oh, i'll get back to you you know um i'm gonna have to think of something I'll get back to you. I, I'm going to have to, you know, put some things together. I'll get back to you. No, no, no. It's already created. In this story, it was already baked. The bread was already there, already made. And I want to tell you, if you'll begin to think of God in these terms, the terms that Jesus used, it will radically transform your prayer life. Now, 
I love that God answers bold, faith-filled prayers. He says, because of your shameless persistence, because of your persistence, and please, by all means, there, there are some actually well-meaning uh, pastors, some in the, in the faith uh, community who have said, no, you just pray one time, and you, if you prayed in faith, you don't pray it again. Well, that's just not scripture. That's just not scripture. That's nonsense. If you pray, what do you do? You ask and keep on asking. In the Greek, all of these ask, seek, and knock, they're all in the present future tense. So it means that you are doing it and you keep doing it until you get the answer. I want you to say this out loud with me. As we begin uh, this, this time where we look at these three areas, there is, there is this. There is, it is ask, seek, and knock. Everybody say ask, seek, and knock. Now, I want to... I wanna, give you this, this is like a threefold revelation out of the persistence in prayer. Now, I want to tell you, I didn't read this in a book. I didn't get this from a sermon. I went into prayer and I said, God, what do you want to say to our people? So um, this, this is, is not saying, wow, this is everything connected to asking, seeking, and knocking. We're actually going to cover this over the next three weeks. But this, I am certain, is what God is saying to us so we take on more of the responsibility of prayer in our life. There's a threefold nature. First, asking prayers. You should probably jot this down. They are what prayers. Asking prayers are what prayers. Seeking prayers are where prayers. And knocking prayers are when prayers. Asking prayers are what prayers. Seeking prayers are where prayers. Knocking prayers are when prayers. And I love this about what it says about asking, which we're going to really focus in on today. It says, keep on asking and you will receive. Let's make it personal. I want you to say it out of your mouth. I will keep on asking and I will receive. That's prayer. I will keep on asking and I will receive. Man, some of us are, man, we're, we're chipping at unbelief that we've dealt with in the area of prayer. You say that, you're like, oh man, that kind of felt right. But man, I, I need to get my life aligned with that. Well, let's look a little further into what these asking prayers, these what prayers can be. Let me give you just, I'm going to give you three asking prayers, okay? This first one is the most important. This first asking prayer is this. God, what are my needs? Now, I, I, when I, I know that when I mention that immediately, man, your list probably just came right up. It was like, oh, that doesn't take long. I know what my needs are. Maybe. Maybe you're like the guy who needs prayer for his hearing. You think you know what your needs are, but perhaps they may be a little bit out of God's priority in your life. Jesus, while teaching on prayer in the Sermon on the Mount, he said something fantastic. Matthew 6, 31 and 33, I want you to notice as I read these verses 
the what prayers that are being offered. They are the asking prayers, the what prayers. It says, therefore, do not worry, saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For all these things the Gentiles seek, or people who are not in covenant relationship with God, for your heavenly fathers, Father knows you need all these things, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Jesus here in this simple statement in the Sermon on the Mount gives us a very short list of our greatest needs. And they have nothing to do with perhaps the petitions that have been filling our prayer times. You know, we say, oh God, you know, I need a little more money. I need a little more, you know, I need this or I need that. I need this or I need, I need that. And I would venture a guess that most of the time we miss the two most important ones that God says, no, 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 this needs to be higher on the list of your needs in prayer. The first, the, the first and greatest need, according to Jesus, is this, the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God, you're saying, when you, when you pray, God, what are my needs? You, God's answer to you is you need my kingdom taking over in your life. You need my kingdom. Now, we don't use words like kingdom. We use constitutional republic. We use socialists. We use communism. We talk about systems of government. We don't normally talk in terms of a kingdom. And this is what I think, unfortunately, many of us have missed when we begin to pray and say, God, what is my greatest need? We need to say, God, I need a king to rule and to reign over my life. I need you to come and, Lord, by grace and through surrender, I want a life that is ruled and reigned by Christ. That's the kingdom of God. You say, do people really live that way? Well, there's only one way to know. Jesus said, hey, by the way, if you, if you really want to see whether it's possible, you've got to experience something. If you're going to be a part of this kingdom, it's not from joining a church. It's not saying, hey, by the way, we have a history within this denomination. There's only one way that you can enter into this great need, and it is this, through being born again. Jesus said these words to a, a great religious leader, Nicodemus, of the day, greatly respected during this day. He comes to Jesus at night, and Jesus answered and said to him in John 3, 3 through 6, he says, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Most assuredly, I say to you, um, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of Spirit is Spirit. Here is what God said. 
says. He says your number one need is to be born again. And when you get born again, you will be born again into a kingdom in which Jesus rules and reigns the life that has been born again. Let me make a statement today. It may fly in the face of, of, of an internal belief, but it needs to be confronted. I do not believe that there is a difference between, between people who are born again and people who make Jesus the Lord of their life. Did you know people make that distinction? They do. Well, they're going to heaven. They prayed a prayer but they're living whatever way they want to live. The Bible doesn't make that distinction. It does not. When you are born again, it is a reflection of total surrender to God through the finished work of Jesus Christ. Total surrender. He becomes your king. And kingdoms are different. We're Americans. We don't like to be told what to do. Well, you're an American second if you're born again. You're an American second. You're a member of the kingdom of God first. You're looking for a kingdom whose maker and builder is God. That's what we're looking for. And so we don't like to be told what to do, but in the kingdom, guess what, guess what happens? The king tells you what to do. The king tells you how to think. The king tells you how to talk. Matter of fact, here we are in Luke 11, and the king tells you how to pray. And he says, ask. And he says, what's the first thing that you're going to pray for when you're in need? You're going to pray for the kingdom. Pray to get born again. He says, that which is born of water, which is referring to natural birth. Okay, that's not referring to baptism. That is, the baby is in water in the womb. That is what that is referring to. You are born naturally, but oh, there is a second birth. That where you experience the transforming presence of God through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. And make no mistake, Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 is in absolute full effect. For by grace are you saved through faith, that not of yourselves, it's the gift of God, not of works, lest any of one should boast. No one is saved apart from the grace of God. Salvation is a free gift to be received freely. But, but, just because I use the word free doesn't mean that it isn't costly. It absolutely is costly. Matter of fact, Jesus in modeling the kingdom shows us how costly it is. You say, how costly is it? I tell you, I have walked the, the way, the, the, the way in Jerusalem that Jesus would have carried that, that cross beam and, and, and where, where, uh, where Simeon would have, would have come alongside him and carried it as he's making his way to that hill called Golgotha. I have walked those very spots. I have seen that spot and understood the cost nature in which God has went to secure the kingdom and he goes to that cross and he goes to that bloody tree hangs there six hours suspended between heaven 
heaven and earth. He would die, give up his, his spirit saying, Lord, into your hands I commit my spirit. It is finished to tell us die, paid in full, breathe his last, and with a great shout, give up the ghost and then go into the grave for three days. But on the third day, there came a rumbling and a shaking, and he got up out of the grave. Listen, this tells us of the costly nature of the kingdom. And many times we forget the cost that was paid for us to secure the gift he wants to give us so we don't respond rightly. You see, when you come into the kingdom of God, you look to the cross as an example. You say, if the cross is what? Secured my salvation. It's what led to the washing and the regeneration of the Spirit in me. It's faith in what He did. And I receive that. Now what do I do? I model what Jesus did in the work of Calvary. He wasn't hanging on the cross halfway. He, he's like, I'm all in. I'm all in. When you're born again, you're all in. There's nothing off limits. I've told this before, but it bears repeating. There's a story of a legion of Roman soldiers that were about to go into battle against uh, quite a foe. And realizing that many of them would not return that day, but ultimately would enter into eternity, they thought to themselves, it would be good of us to have a religious ceremony and, 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 and make sure that our eternities have been secured before God. They, of course, said, okay, if you would like to be a part of the kingdom of God, you need to repent and be baptized. So every one of the soldiers decided that that day before the battle, they would be baptized. And in full armor with everything on them, they would all enter the waters. Only every soldier drew a sword and held it high. They dunked themselves under the water, all but the arm that held the sword. It was as if they were saying, God, you can take care of my soul, but I'm going to take care of my life today. And unfortunately, many times in modern Christianity, that's exactly what we do. We say, oh, I'm going to come to Christ, but there will be a measured approach to me giving him my life. There will be only so much access that he has, so much of a voice that he has. And I want to tell you, don't hold your arm and sword out of the water. It's time that we get fully baptized in Christ. We say, no, 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 my greatest need is the kingdom of God. I want to be born again so I can see it. And you do that through repentance and faith in him. and saying, I'm all in. Salvation is a free gift. And it comes when you believe that Christ died for you. But at that moment, you should totally surrender. The second thing that he says when in answer to what our greatest need in, in Matthew chapter 6 is this. It's not only do we seek the kingdom of God, we seek. It says, and his righteousness. We seek the kingdom of God and we seek his righteousness. Well, what does that mean? It means a life that manifests being right with God. It means I take on a life that manifests and shows what it looks like when someone has the Spirit of God dwelling in them. So, what 
you look like Christ. Your greatest need is the kingdom of God and his righteousness. I know a lot of people who say, man, I wish I could have walked with Jesus, you know, 2,000 years ago and seen him face to face. Oh, that would have been awesome. And and see the miracles and see all the rest. And that that would be great. But it it does stand uh, against the words that he said. He said, it's good that I go away. Because if I go away, I will send you another helper called the Holy Spirit. He goes, you're going to enter into a time where it's better. I won't just be with you. I will live in you and work through you. And he says, I will manifest who I am through everyone who placed faith in me. He says, listen, this is what I'm calling you to. I know um, um, people who have a longing to see God, perhaps in a vision. Perhaps through encounter. And if you've ever wondered what God looks like. I'm about to show you. Get ready. Some of y'all, I don't, I don't get it. (laughs) One more time. You see, we are created in the image of God, and when we seek his righteousness, we're saying, God manifests through me. And a life that is laid down can show the world what Jesus looks like, what he thinks like, what he talks like, how he moves. That is the true calling. That is the greatest need, one of the greatest needs that we could ever have. It's not, God, God, help my checking account, or God, help my closet, or help my retirement no 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 it is God help me to Lord understand the kingdom and to be a part of it through this through being born again and help me manifest the son of God Titus 2 11 tells us how Jesus taught here Jesus is given a title called the grace of God And notice what the grace of God says in Titus chapter 2, verses 11 through 14. It says, For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, that's Jesus, teaching us that, denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present age, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good works. Let me just tell you what the grace of God will teach you, what manifesting Christ looks like. Here's the first thing that it does. We deny sin. We deny sin. This is what he says, denying ungodliness and worldly lust. Listen, don't buy into the mindset that says we're all just sinners. No, we all just were sinners, but we were saved by the power of the shed blood of Christ. And now I don't live by my spirit. I live by the spirit of God who raised Jesus Christ from the dead. 
We deny sin. Don't tell me that sin is your master when Romans 6 says sin shall no longer be your master, but you'll have dominion over it in Christ. Come on, there's a way out. You may not know where it is. Then what do you do? Ask a what prayer of God. God, what's my need? We deny sin and then we deny self. Hello, hello fasting. You deny self, your flesh will speak up. Matter of fact, here you are in the middle of this. You know, some of you may have already uh, greeted a demon called cheat. Yeah, that cheat demon shows up. Oh, you could cheat. You could do this. You could break your fast. God's good with it. God's this or that. Listen, I want to tell you, you got to learn to deny yourself. This is the way of the kingdom. We don't, we don't put self first. We put kingdom first. And this is how God begins to show us how we can manifest him. How about this? We think like Christ. Did you know that's possible? It is. Here it says in Titus 2, live soberly. Soberly means right thinking. has two influence. It says stop numbing yourself because when you're numb, you will not think like God. Stop numbing yourself with the bottle with alcohol. Stop it. You are called to sober thinking. Stop numbing, numbing yourself with pills. Stop numbing yourself, you know, down at the, you know, the dispensary because you think it's legal so God's okay with it. No, God's clear call. Listen, God's clear call to sobriety is all through the skip scripture and anything else is sin. And so what do we do? What do we do? We say, I am going to think like Christ. And you manifest what it's like to be righteous before God. How about this? We walk like Christ. It says, godly. Did you know you could do that? He lives inside of you. How about we hope like Christ? Let me give you some hope in this hour. When everything in the news is bad. Everything in the news is bad. Let me give you some hope in this hour. Jesus is coming back. Jesus is coming back. And listen, if you're born again, that ought to get you real happy. Man, we're going to a family reunion and we're going to eat good. It's going to be an eternal, I mean, it's the marriage supper of the lamb. That's the first thing. We're, we're going to heaven's barbecue. Are you kidding me? Some of you got scared when I said Jesus is coming back. Well, not me. Not me. I'm, I'm glad. I'm going to keep my eyes on the eastern sky looking for his glorious appearing, knowing that Jesus is coming back for those who have repented and believed and those who loved his appearing according to the scripture. Listen, you need to live in hope. Listen, if the world is falling apart, you can be in hope. If the stock market crashes, you can be in hope. If, if, our, if our, our system, our government systems totally crumble, you can still be in hope because Jesus is coming back. That's what it looks like to manifest what righteousness, what a life looks like when it's submitted to God. Oh man, and then when you're righteous you thank God all the time. You thank him for saving you. It says redeemed here that he bought you back out of the slave market of sin. Man, we thank him because he has redeemed us and what purified us. Man, I used to be so dirty, but I got washed whiter than any launderer on earth could ever launder anything. I got washed and I got purified. 
And then what? We joyously serve Christ. It says, his own special people, zealous for good works. Listen, identity always precedes ministry. That's why it's mentioned here first. Your first thing is, is you need to hear God saying, son, I believe you're special. You're special to me, son. You're special to me, daughter. You're my special people. And then he says, those people who know the voice of God and the love of God and the nearness of his presence will be a people who are what? Zealous for good works. Which leads us to our second what prayer. We say, God, what are my needs? But then second, we say, God, what are the needs of others? This is the second what prayer. This is the second thing you ask and keep on asking. Philippians 2, 3, and 4 says it this way. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition and conceit, but in lowliness of mind. Let each esteem others better than himself. And let each one of you look not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. So what does this look like in your internal life, okay, as it's connected to prayer? I asked the Lord that very question. I said, Lord, what does this look like when in prayer I begin to ask you, what are the needs of others? What can I expect to experience? And Ephesians 4, 32 really uh, came to mind. And it says this. And be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. Here's what the Lord was saying. He says, when you begin to ask what the needs of others are, start with these three. Start with these three. What's, what's it says, what's it, what's, what's it say the needs of others begin with kindness? Kindness. Can you just be kind? Can you just be kind? What is kindness? It's a thoughtfulness that you can show. Matter of fact, it even goes beyond thoughtfulness. Kindness actually in the Greek uh, grabs hold of this word in English, usefulness. It's the idea of having the right tool for the right job. If you've ever tried to get a flathead screw out with a Phillips screwdriver, you know what an impossible task that is. But oh man, isn't it good when you have the right tool for the right job? And man, it just, it just seems to work. That is what kindness is. When you begin to pray, God, what are the needs of, needs of others? He is first going to address, are you kind? I know you're not going out to eat today, but in three weeks... When you walk in and they don't get your meal quite right, are they your slaves or are you going to be kind? Are they human people in need of God? Or are you the one sitting on the throne and they're meant to serve you? And then you write zero on the tip and say, Jesus saves, nonsense, keep your mouth shut. And whatever you do, don't wear a Calvary shirt. Listen to me. When you start to pray, God, what do others need? Kindness shows up. I need to be useful. Not served, useful. Then, what's right behind it? He says, be kind to one another, tenderhearted. If kindness is a thoughtfulness you can show, then tenderheartedness is a compassion I can feel. Compassion means to come along somebody else's suffering. There's so much judgment 
going around over why people are where they are. And we fold our hands in judgment over people and don't move into any activity, redemptive activity, because we think they're there because it's their fault. I just want to let everybody know we were all there and it was our fault. And so when we pray and in this internal world, God begins to speak to us about needing compassion, coming alongside the sufferings of others. This is an internal adjustment. It happens in the place of prayer. And then he says, then forgiveness. And it says, and forgive one another. This is a wrong you can release. Now, don't wave at me and don't, let, don't, rip, don't lift your hands. But have you ever gone to pray and there's been conflict in your life relationally and you can't pray because God keeps putting his finger on the conflict? And perhaps you were the one that was wronged and you keep going through it and replaying it in your mind. Your prayers aren't getting through because you're not praying just, Lord, what do I need? You're not even praying about what the other person needs. And see, here's why forgiveness is the answer for what they need. Unforgiveness is a personal prison that only you hold the key to. You're the one in prison. Most likely they are not. But the reason why you forgive so freely is so they can see Christ in the world. It's not just so that I can feel better and get prayers answered. So when you say, what do others need? Others need forgiveness. You say, well, I've forgiven them, but I don't like them. I don't trust them. Here's how you know if you've forgiven somebody. Think of the one that betrayed you. And when you think of them, do they have safe passage through your mind? If suddenly there's lightning and thunder and... (laughs) That's not... Forgiveness. When you can think of them and do what Christ says, I'm going to love my enemies and I'm going to bless them, that's when you know I've entered in to what do others need in a real way because I want to manifest the righteousness of God. It's a wrong I release. And this is how important it is. It's Matthew 6, 14. And 15, for if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Listen to me, church. Do not build a theology that negates this scripture. It's dangerous. If you think, I can go to heaven when my heart's full of unforgiveness, you are wrong. And God, in this hour, is right now 
saying, I've been, reason why you've been going to prayer and you've been dealing with this issue is because I want you to deal with it now because I want you to flourish in the place of prayer. I want you to be a person that can manifest the kingdom and manifest his righteousness. I want you to be that person. He's saying, listen, let them go. Bless them. This third question is uh, one that is a bit of an assignment. I'm going to give it without much comment. There is another what question I want all of you to ask. God, what, is my, what am I in need of? God, or what are others in need of? And then it leads to this. God, what is something I can do? God, what is something I can do? And the reason why I wanted to say little is because it is in the place of prayer that when you hear the voice of God answer this question, then you know his reality, you know his nearness, and you stop being a dependent and you become a disciple. This is your assignment during the time of prayer and fasting. God, what is something I can do? As I'm saying, God, you, you show me my greatest needs. Bring me into greater levels of fellowship with you. Great, great, bring, bring me into, into greater levels of manifesting your glory and your life and your love to those who are around me. Then you ask this question, God, what is something I can do? Answers will come. They'll come like this, you know, share the gospel, feed the hungry, give generously, pray until something happens, spend time with someone. Start a small group. Join a ministry at the church. I don't know what the answer is going to be. All I know is that if you will ask, you will receive. Let me finish today by going back to the beginning of the story. The beginning of the story was very telling. He went to the friend's house. For bread. Jesus said this of himself, I'm the bread come down from heaven. If you would receive this bread, you what? Never hunger again. I want to tell you today, listen, I want to tell you, there are some friends. Perhaps you're here today and you came to church with a friend. Maybe you're watching online and a friend recommended this service. You know what they were doing? They were going to Jesus, our friend, at midnight and say, Jesus, I need a little bread for one who has none. And you know what Jesus' answer to those who need redemption and forgiveness and truly to be born again? He says, I've always got bread. Anytime, I'll give you the midnight answer. I'll give you the bread. If you're here today and you know you're not right with God, I want to tell you consider Calvary today, the friend that went and got a little bread and is bringing it to you and saying, here, eat freely of the redemption that comes through Christ, the forgiveness that comes through him. There's more than enough. He loves you and he's for you.